All right, what's going on, guys? Uh, Manifest Iron uh, podcast episode three. I have with me today uh, my partner in crime, my brother Nathan Barna, as always. Uh, what's going on, Nathan? What's going on, Mike? Pleasure to be here, as always. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then our uh, our guest, I'll put that in quotation marks today, our friend that's coming on here to talk with us today, uh, Mr. James Dolman from Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, he's a great power lifter, 21.55 total. Yes, sir. Uh, competed at the Beast of the Bench uh, competition, I guess you can call it, here in South Bend at East Race Muscle, the eight of the best bench pressers, and put powerlifting on ESPN for the first time ever. Uh, it was a fun little ordeal uh i'm just happy to be here man just like on that day you know it's, it's, it's nice to be here <laughs> just happy to be here yes sir i like it i like it i like it so yeah uh so why don't you uh tell us a little bit about yourself james well uh i grew up in toledo originally uh you know i have a pretty extensive background with uh football but growing up you know kind of how similar to joe sullivan you know didn't really have a fitness background prior to high school and then getting involved with athletics there. Um, started playing football just because, you know, I had a lot of, you know, I guess you want to call it anger issues, you know, growing up with a learning disability as well too, you know, uh, ADHD and, you know, just every, you know, problem that you could think of in the book. Um, but, you know, transitioning to that, you know, through football, I found weightlifting. Through weightlifting, I found bodybuilding. And through bodybuilding, I found powerlifting. So, you know, my life's just been reinventing myself over and over again. You know, call it a jack-of-all-trades kind of lifestyle. I like it. I mean, Nathan and I are very uh, – we can get on board with that. I use the term poor man's renaissance man. <laughs> That's what I've always said, uh, you know, always – kind of transitioning into something else and pushing yourself, your mind and your body to try different things. Well, you have to, I mm -hmm. mean, in athletics, you know, that's what the, that's what the name of the game is. Um, but you know, you find out a lot of that translates into your own personal life as well too. Yeah. So you started football bodybuilding. Did you compete in bodybuilding or you just use uh, it as like a, I did three shows. Uh, I did the natural Ohio once and I did the natural Northern USA, uh, all of which were in Cleveland because um, at the time I was in college and, you know, couldn't really afford to travel and everything like gotcha. that. So, um, and I had fun with it, but, you know, ultimately like when I made the move to Cleveland, I was getting ready for a show. I think, uh, it was the one Chris Bumstead had actually won the year prior and moved on to the national circuit. And, uh, you know, I wanted to compete against guys like that and getting ready for it. Um, you know, I, I had a couple health issues and everything and I was thinking about, just transitioning to something else anyway. Um, but I got a job opportunity out in Cleveland uh, to come take over the LA Fitness in Lyndhurst, Ohio, uh, their personal training department. And ultimately that job didn't quite work out as expected, but um, you know, it got me out to Cleveland, which is where my fiance is from. Um, and then through that, you know, I decided like, oh, they're gonna have a push pull at the Natural Northern that year. And so I just kind of got my feet wet. And when I went out there, I. I think I pulled 650 and benched 525, and everybody was like, Jeez. what what meat is this for you? I was like, I'm just getting my feet wet, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's just been history ever since. You know, I was just going, going with the flow, going wherever the wind takes me. So did you, you know, with bodybuilding, because especially nowadays, there's kind of different avenues, like 
mm-hmm. people with you know, that very kind of isolationist approach where they're just literally just focusing on the muscle and developing the muscle mm-hmm. versus kind of the more old school approach where it was that foundation of the big lifts that packed on the size and then kind of just that refinement after that. Because obviously if you just come out of the water, you know, at a push-pull meet like yeah. that, you'd have to be training pretty heavy. Well, when I looked up to, you know, bodybuilders, you know, the people that were big at the time, you know, this was starting off in 2010, you know, the big bodybuilders at, at the time were like Jay Cutler, you know, Ronnie Coleman was at the end of his career around yeah. then. Um, but I always looked at like the 90s bodybuilders and how they were able to just be so strong and so dense. And I looked at that and I was like, I want that, you know, and, you know, we could even argue like Franco Colombo, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, but especially Franco is the only bodybuilder, to my knowledge, to compete at World's Strongest Man, uh, I think the uh, IPF, like, powerlifting championships, and at the Mr. Olympia, and he excelled at all of it. Yeah, Yeah. he was, I didn't know he did the the Strongman, uh, because I always correlate the two, him and Stan, because Stan actually won, you know, he, he got mm-hmm. his IFBB uh, pro card and held the 275 record for a long time, correct? Until, I believe, Larry broke it. Yeah, so um, it's it doesn't happen often. Yeah. And Franco kind of took that a step above doing strongman. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, he's a, he's a specimen man. And, honestly, a lot of people think he could have been, you know, quite a bit greater even in bodybuilding if he was if he was bigger. He was, well, he was uh, five foot six five foot seven guy competing against you know uh no matter what you tell me you know arnold schwarzenegger i still maintain that he was always been six foot but you know everybody kind of over inflated their numbers back then yeah exactly you know but still like competing against guy like lou ferrigno who's like legit six four six five you know to be that large compared to you know franco who's five seven i mean you just kind of when you're looking at it subjectively you know your eye always gets drawn toward the bigger taller more monstrous guy before you notice the the guy in the middle who like even though he is stronger than Lou in you know a lot of ways you know just when you're looking at it visually it, it there's a lot of optics that go into uh bodybuilding and you know that's ultimately kind of what you know turned me off from the sport I, you know I don't want to say I'll never go back and do it again uh because I don't like closing off avenues um but, you know, I just fell in love with powerlifting so much that, you know, because it wasn't about, you know, how you looked. It wasn't about, you know, how you ate. And, you know, you didn't have to pump yourself up all the time with, like, false bravado and just say, like, nobody understands me, but I'm going to grind through it. Hashtag grind, you know, hashtag yeah. fit, fit fam. Um, you know, with powerlifting, there was just that inherent brotherhood of just, like, we just want to see everybody lift big weights and do big shit. And, you know, when I came to... Uh, you know, East Race for the bench meet, you know, Mike's just talking in the back room, and I'm just like, I haven't felt this way since football, you know, with, yeah. uh, you know, coach talk about, you know, beating the crap out of people with a baseball bat, you know, I was just <laughs> like, let's go. Yep. Know? And that's what I think is, you know, it kind of that, like, we, that transition, what bodybuilding, kind of how it was founded and started. Yeah. I mean, when you go way back to people like Eugene Sando, kind of, he's, I guess, like the father of bodybuilding, how it it was the foundation of it wasn't so much like, let's just do whatever I have to do to look a certain way. Right. It was let me take care of my body and like maximize 
my health and my strength and look what that does to my physique. And I think that's where, especially in the modern days, where it's such an, an, a game of aesthetics where, you know, everybody's just concerned who's the biggest monster out there versus, you know, who has the most functionality and who's like the healthiest guy and, and how is that aesthetic and expression of the health. Right. And that's why like, even, you know, like, uh, was it Bill, Bill Pearl? And even I think mm-hmm. in like the Arnold era, like a lot more of those guys, they were more focused on the, the strength and health aspect of it. Whereas today, like I said, it's just who can get the most freakishly big. And like, I can, I can relate. Cause that's kind of what turned me off to bodybuilding is I have kind of a similar path. Like I got into football and like high school mm-hmm. sports. And through that, I found the weight room I was like, Oh shit, this is fun. And then, you know, I was trying to take practice easy so I could have more energy to go train in the weight room. And then right. guy got into bodybuilding. And then I realized just like you was like, well, you know, looking good is cool, but being strong as shit, there's like, there's a feeling that's, it's hard to match that. It's like, you know, looking like you can bench 550 pounds is great, but when you can actually back it up and nobody can take that away from you, you know, that's why I like, you know, with powerlifting competition numbers are the most respected. Yeah. You know, you can be strong in the gym, but to get up on the platform, you know, Mike and I were having a conversation over breakfast, like everybody that steps onto the platform is now a professional athlete. Yeah. You have to handle yourself in a certain way. You know, you represent yourself every time you go out on the platform. And, you know, that's why, like, with the, with the bench meet, you know, I just said, you know, I don't like committing to a number, you know, even though, like, in my head, like, yeah, I want 600 more than, you know, most things in life. Um, but I go out there with a game plan. You know, I'm going to smoke my opener so that, you know, I can stay in the meet, get a PR on the second. And then if I have a third, then great. If not, you know, like, I'm – I'm on ESPN, man. Like I've already yeah. won just by showing up. So yeah, yeah. just happy to be here. <laughs> just happy to be here. Yeah, that's what I think with uh and like when we talk about bodybuilding and stuff like that, and I think like every every discipline has its own things that are good about it. And I think at the end of the day, like if somebody is doing what they love to do, whether that is bodybuilding and trying to get as big as they possibly can or powerlifting or weightlifting or strongman or or painting or creating music like I I really don't think that what that thing is matters as much as the the passion and the love that somebody can put behind it because you know when you find that thing that you're really passionate about that you love to do regardless of what that thing is like and you put your heart and soul into that thing like who you become by going through that process is what's kind of the the real value of that thing. And when you're doing what's your love, it's easy for you to start to spread that value and give back to other people versus, yeah, go ahead. And, you know, we kind of talked about this too at breakfast, and it's it's interesting to have, uh, as when you sit next to somebody that has a, you know, a 21.55 total, and you're nowhere near that, but your um, legacy in the sport kind of goes two different ways. Uh, you know, we talked about what I do for powerlifting, what you're doing for powerlifting, and you said, you know, you said to me, "I'm going to keep doing this till it's till it's not fun anymore. I'm having a blast right now. I'm having fun, right?" Yeah. And I told you that this saved my life, so I'm going to keep doing it because it continues to save my life. 
And I've seen enough people where this sport has saved their life and they're able to shine through what they're able to do. And it gives them a sense of purpose to hone in on, um, you know, their nutrition, um, their mental health, and translate it into strength on the platform and maybe even, you know, going, stepping onto, uh, you know, a competition platform and, and showing showing people what they do every day, day in and day out. That's, you know, got them to that point of that, that mental freedom or that safety or where they feel the strongest that they've ever been in their eyes and their mind. Um, and seeing, seeing the difference in people's mindsets with that, especially people that are on the other end of the bell curve, like you, um, not, not diluting that you like why you do this, but it's neat to see somebody that's like, yeah, I, you know, I'm one of the better power lifters in the world. I'm on this end of the bell curve and I'm doing this because I'm having a blast right now. I'm having a blast right now, but it's also the next thing that I've that I've committed myself to. It's in a long line of you know, pretty much the same the same things. You right. know, football to bodybuilding to. So, it's definitely something that keeps you moving. It keeps you moving. Keeps you sane. Keeps you exactly. Um, but I think the skills that you learn that you pick up along the way, like. Uh, Nathan and I got into football in high school, and that ultimately led us to the weight room. And you know, in the train, the studying like how people train, how the best people train. You know, picking up you know from the people that came before us. You know, we all stand on the shoulders of giants. Um, and you know, for most of my life, it's the same way. You know, I try to find the best people that I can emulate. You know, as far as not not just you know in a athletic sense, but just as like people. You know, who can I look up to? you know, to really, you know, guide me when I'm, you know, kind of struggle bussing and just trying to just get from one day to another. Um, you know, those skills that I had to pick up, you know, I had to learn how to cook, you know, I had to learn how to keep the house clean, you know, I, and, and, you know, compiling all those skills together, I think ultimately kind of, you know, as you explore yourself in those kind of contexts, that ultimately kind of guides you toward whatever's next, you know, in your life. So, you know, I'm not going to stop weightlifting, obviously, you, yeah. know, the, you know, but I don't think, you know, the sport itself, is, you know, like I'm more than a power lifter, you know, yeah. I, I always have been. Um, but sometimes in my life, you know, it seemed like, you know, I'm kind of I'm trapped in that like dark place where like I just got to, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing. Everything seems to be kind of falling down around me. But, you know, I have that core set of skills that like repeated day after day get me to the point where I'm at now. And, you know, it's never always going to be, you know, an absolute high, but it's always never going to be an absolute low either. So, you know, wherever the wind takes me, I know that that's, you know, somewhere where, you know, my skills are kind of pushing me into this and then rather kind of fight back against that. Like, you know, try to, you know, just steer more into bodybuilding. Like, why not? Why not try out powerlifting for a second and then realize, like, I actually have a talent for it. Um, you know, the reason why, you know, I wear a shirt. Uh, with Iron Core Jim uh, from Fremont, Ohio, the guy that took me under his wing, uh, Brian Moreland out there. Um, he brought me out as a 600-pound squatting bodybuilder one day of training and some technique fixes, and I walked out a 650-pound squatter, and I realized, like, hey, like, I have a talent for this. Like, I, I wasn't a talented football player at all, and I was, I was an okay bodybuilder. You know, I placed, like, top three at two of my shows um, in my weight class, but, you know, never had, like, an overall win. Um, maybe I could have, you know, but I'm not closing my life off to that, you know, just saying like, oh, I'm only a bodybuilder. I'm only a power lifter is, 
you know, I got into the sport because it was fun for me. You know, I have talent doing it. So, you know, if I don't service that talent, you know, I'm leaving something on the table. And if I wind up, you know, for whatever reason, passing away or whatever, not having done it, then that's just experiences. I never got to meet the cool people that I met or do what I've done. You know, I didn't get to be on ESPN if I didn't do powerlifting. So, but it keeps you fed. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think one of the main reasons why um, I think after only two episodes, this podcast is so popular or why I want to continue to do it is I think there's a lot of people that are afraid to really venture out and figure out what those things are for them, you know, because like you said, powerlifting doesn't define you. Um, you know, lifting in general doesn't define you. Um, and you find yourself trying to, I think there's a lot of people that are afraid to really, you know, stretch that hand out and figure out what it is that can make them feel that way that we feel when we train. Or like I said, I've, you know, I'll go, I've done stand-up comedy and I'd never done it before, but it was something I always wanted to do. So I went and did it. And, you know, Nathan, you've, you've come and see, it's a different side of me that you don't see any other time. You know what I mean? Yeah, but it's still, it's, it's Mike. Like that's the thing. You're not a lifter. You're not just, you know, all of us, like we're not just one dimensional people. Like we have all these different facets and giving ourselves the permission to express those things, whether it's, you know, going from powerlifting to a a stand-up comedy show or going from, you know, weightlifting to making a rap song. Exactly. mm -hmm. The same thing. It's I, I, you, I, I, Every time I walk into your office and you're doing something like that, I still think that you look at me like you're almost with like when you see me, like a sense of like, oh, geez, he's coming around <laughs> to do it. And I'm like, I, and I've, t- I've told you this every time too. I'm like, I, I love it. I, it may not be the type of music that I'm into, but watching Nathan train 10 hours a day and then put everything he can into his athlete, sometimes you're here 12, 13, 14 hours a day. Oh, yeah. And then I walk back and watch you you know, recording yourself rapping, I think it's awesome. Right. And it's, you're not doing it in front of anybody. You don't have people watching you. You don't have your clients in there. You're not like, it's not something that you're putting out on social media. It's something you're literally doing to, to continue to fill yourself. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the, the beautiful thing and kind of the, the underlying theme with what we're saying is, you know, when you give yourself the permission and you have the courage to, follow your heart and kind of dive into whatever that thing is that even if it remotely interests you, because, you know, like, like our past, like we started football, just, you know, maybe it seemed, and it was fun at the time, but after a while we realized, okay, well, maybe this isn't what I want to do forever, but it opened the door for something else. Like through that, you found the weight room and, you know, through the weight room, it opened the door to bodybuilding through bodybuilding, opened the door to powerlifting, but I feel like a, a lot of us where we get stuck is, you know, we might have this interest or this thing, but automatically we shut ourselves, or we shut ourselves down because we either say, oh, I'm never going to be good at that, or, you know, what if I fail, and really just, it, you know, self-doubt and fear kicks in, you know, something I have to constantly remind myself and the people I work with, and um, I mean, you guys, a lot of times it, it can come naturally to some people, but just not being afraid to suck at something. Like, well, you know, when you first stood up in the, you know, did your first comedy show, you're like, well, you probably, you know, I, I might just completely suck at I this. might, no one, no one's going to laugh. Yeah, like, crickets. I'm going to be standing up in a room full of crickets. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's <laughs> like you, you start that process and then you realize 
it's not so much that you have to be good right out of the gate, but you open the door to the practice. And then just, like you said, just creating that skill set that can allow you to just keep taking those steps forward one day at a time. And when you do what fills you, what fills your soul, what is, you know, a labor of love, it's easy to put the time in that you need to put in to actually get something of value out of it versus, you know, if you spend your whole life working some job you hate and you're, you're stressed out and it's, it's, you don't want to be there and it's hard to sustain that. And a lot of people get burnt out and they get sick or they get diseases or cancer strictly because they're pursuing a path that somebody else laid down for them or doing what they thought that they have to do in order to, you know, fulfill some role that's made up in society or just because they have to make money or whatever the reasoning is, and they keep doing that thing even though they hate it, and it's hard to sustain versus when you go do what you love, it's easy to be at the gym, you know, 12, 14 hours a day, and it's like, I don't even feel like I'm here that long just because I'm, you know, I'm going from training to coaching to, to writing to making videos to, you know, working on a freaking mixtape. Like, <laughs> I'm doing the things Absolutely. that fulfill me. Even if I might suck ass at multiple of those things, at least, you know, it, because it's a labor of love, I'm able to keep at it and keep putting in the work that needs to be done. And you inertly then are affecting those people around you too. We have a platform that we must be responsible with. I mean, the three of us essentially, this is our full-time job, is, is strength sports. And we talked about this. Mm-hmm. It's, not a, it's not a great paying career. Nope. Uh, you know, Olympic lifting, uh, powerlifting, strongman, even bodybuilding until you get to the highest level. And even that's starting to wane now. I mean, bodybuilding is definitely on a decline as far as popularity goes. But it is a, these are pay-to-play sports, and you are a professional. After your first time doing it, you're a professional athlete in every single one of those. You know what I'm saying? In every sense of the word. Yeah, exactly. And, and we're not getting tens of thousands of dollars at these meets that we're competing in or hundreds of or millions or not even hundreds. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think the Mr. Olympia payout um, is somewhere in the ballpark of like a million dollars now, but that's if you win, if you're the yeah. one guy at the top of the totem and, and, and how many IFBB pros do you know? You know what I mean? Like th- just off the top of your head, like people that you personally, like I know a handful of IFBB pros that will never get that close to, to that. To, we have uh I think Rodney is the only one that's actually competed in the Olympia yeah. from our area, and that's rare, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I don't think he placed. I'm pretty sure, but still, he got to step foot on that that platform. But look how like few and far between that is. You yeah. know what I mean? And even even the Olympia, you know, the the Rock is no longer involved. Um, I think a mm-hmm. couple other big name like sponsors have kind of backed off of that and stuff like that. But, I mean, it's a whole other topic. That's because of social media. You don't have to win the Olympia to be a physique, yeah. uh, you know, right. powerhouse right. anymore and make tons of money because you can do it on Instagram and YouTube and stuff like that. Well, well it's like with guys with like Rich Piana, for instance, you know, rest in peace, Rich. But, you know, he was one of the best people that I had met at the Arnold Classic because uh, I remember standing in line waiting to see, like, Branch Warren and Johnny Jackson when they were at the Mutant booth and they kind of just, you know, went off and did their own thing. And Rich saw me just kind of disappointed, you know, just kind of walking away. He's like, hey, come over here, man. And this was before he blew up on YouTube, like two or three years before. 
but he sat there and he talked to me, you know, as just like a young up and coming bodybuilder who like, you know, didn't, you know, really have a pot to piss in and, you know, didn't really, you know, know exactly where I fit in with the whole sport. Um, he talked to me for about like a half an hour. And then later on, you know, when he started, you know, really gaining traction on YouTube and doing the bigger by the day series and everything, everything like that. It's like, I know that that guy is genuine and he loves what he does because at the end of the day that like his, the story that he tells himself in his mind is the same that he portrays out to the world. You know, you have the integrity to be the same on camera as you are off camera. And I think, you know, in an era of social media, you know, we are like, I'll post my training misses. I don't have a problem with that, but I know a lot of people that like, that they just like shut down and won't talk about, you know, their shortcomings because they want to portray, you know, this grandoise, uh, you know, personality, this bit larger than life personality that just for where they're at in the sport, they haven't put in the work, you know, do it, being who they need to be off camera in order to achieve that. But doing that long enough, you begin to manifest that though. And you start to believe in that persona. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been caught up in that, um, not because of how great I am at powerlifting, but just in general in, in with, you know, the, the mindset of social media and having that personality that, you know, isn't really you. Yeah. And And so, and and I think we all do Yeah. at some point or another. Um, and it's a lot easier to get caught up, you know, in your own head and, you know, tell yourself the story, but if it doesn't match up with, you know, the story that you portray out to other people in the way that people, you know, see you, then there's that discrepancy where, you know, yeah, you have to put in the work to get there. But, you know, if you don't believe that you can do something, you're not going to do it, you know, because nobody does stuff that they don't think that they can do. The, um, the crazy th- the crazy thing is, too, is uh, that's the what we, what we were just talking about before you said that is, is has happened to me uh, in the beginning of this whole thing with the gym and everything I had it. I, it grew just locally. Now it's it's crazier because my my brand or whatever you want to call it is bigger than it was then. But I believed in what everyone on the other side of the screen thought at that time, and it came to a crashing halt. And to go back to what we were talking about before, the thing that pulled me out of that, and we're talking about like literally flatlining, like it got to that bad, you know, to that point, was this? Like it was this? It was. It was the iron, uh, you yeah. know, it was, it was powerlifting. And it was the reason why uh, I had gotten to that high point to begin with, dove down to the bottom of the absolute bottom, and then had to build myself back up. And, you know, is this plus people around me? Like, you never gave up on me. You were there, you were there with me when it was at its worst. You're here with me when it's at, at my highest. Uh, same thing with my family and a few other people and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, they're very much a big part of it too. But at the end of the day, I still remember telling myself, if no one else walks through these doors, I, I'm still going to be here. Uh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I need it. And this is, this is where I go to be the best version of myself. Because even when the things were the worst, when I had my hand wrapped around, you know, the neural, I, none of that other stuff mattered. That's where I would go to to be the best version of myself. And I'm not the best powerlifter in the world. I'm not even close. I think I'm like 1,447 is where I'm at on open powerlifting. And so uh, that, that number, I, I think about that often, not because you know I care about the ranking or not, 
but it just reminds me of what I've built here based on pure passion and like a, just a, a manifestation of my, my goal to be able to show people that they have the potential as well. That's why the athletes that come to me aren't coming to me because um, I have this amazing total uh, or have, you know, pound for pound, one of the best powerlifters on my roster or anything like that. I have a lot of strong athletes, but it's because I show a sense of believing in them that's real. I, I believe in them and I believe in the strength inside of them that they haven't seen yet because I had that. Right. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I uh, was number one. It was, I, it, we kind of got in this the same way. Mm-hmm. I had a troop of guys around me at these commercial gyms that we'd go to all the time, and I got kicked out of most of them. I had been kicked out of three or four commercial gyms in this area based on how I lifted, how I cheered people on and motivated them, how loud I was and stuff like that. And I remember it was an MPC show here in town, but they had a bench press competition. Mm-hmm. And this was seven or eight years ago now. And I was like, well, I'm pretty good bench presser for my weight. At least I believed I was at the time. And I did. I, I entered and I ended up winning uh, and, and thought, you know, this is pretty cool. Like this is pr-. And there was no crowd. Uh, I tell people that, too, when they don't understand how young powerlifting still is. My first full meet that I went to, there was 28 lifters in and one woman. Uh, it was an APF meet. And, you know, that wasn't that long ago. You know, and now we have meets that are three or four days long. Two of the days are just women, you know, right, yeah. which is awesome. It's amazing. And we're, we're still very much a baby uh, sport when it comes, you know, to the grand, you know, the grand scale of organized sports and stuff like that. But, yeah, I'm, just to go back to what we were saying, like, we have to, we have to remember um, that we, especially, like, the three of us, uh, you know, we have this platform where we do – show our passion and be able to show, um, like I said, that we're poor man's renaissance man and what we're doing and progressing all the time. But there are people that are watching us too. Uh, We have that platform to be able to show them that they're capable of the same thing. It doesn't have to be powerlifting, but it could be uh, open mic night with a guitar in your hand or, you know, painting and allowing them to use a space for an open house or something like that, you know, or helping them get to that point or stand up comedy or, uh, you know, getting in the ring and doing a boxing match or something like that. Writing, anything like that. Writing, yes. And I, and I think where we're at, like, with the sport is, you know, I wouldn't call it, like, that young because we have the culture from before, but it's kind of evolved in that we've gotten away from, you know, just the geared-only meets, and now we have so many opportunities for people to do, you know, what they feel like they want to do. Um, you know, we're kind of like the, the middle child of the sport. And, you know, we, we all have a platform, but, you know, what was cool about... Uh, talking with Ed Cohn uh, at the bench press meet. Um, I did a seminar. I went to a seminar with him, Stan Efferding, and Stuart McGill back in 2017 down in Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, just I didn't think Ed would remember who I was. But um, the thing is, like, I think he knows how much his time means to everybody now, like, in the sport because of who he was then, that he's willing to treat everybody you know, with that much more, you know, passion, respect, you know, everything as, you know, in the sport, you know, trying to be a, a good role model for everybody. Um, you know, he knows how much his time matters to the people coming up. And like, I didn't expect him to remember me, but he's talking with Josh Bryant. He's like, hey, that's James Dolman. He's, you know, from, 
you know, guy lives up in Cleveland, Ohio, you know, he's total in this one. I'm just looking at him all confused. Like, how do you know me? Like, yeah. I haven't done anything. I haven't set any world records or anything, you know, like, and like, I, I'm not trying to, you know, be like, you know, I, I haven't done anything in the sport, but like, I know because of how Ed treats me that I need to be that person for somebody else coming up that, you know, maybe kind of hesitant to, you know, to like reach out or take the first steps and everything like that. And, you know, you know, and it pushes me out of my comfort zone because I might have to deal with somebody in a unique situation because everybody's got a unique situation that only they can, you know, deal with that. But based on my experiences, it's like, okay, how can I mesh with that and kind of help them work their way through their own problems or they can, you know, self-actualize their own goals. You know, and ultimately, like, it's it's like firefighters don't want to go to work during the day because, you know, that means that nothing's burning down and everything's great. You know, it's like, as fitness professionals, I hope we get to the point where, like, one day I don't have to go to work because that means everybody's capable of achieving the physique that they want, achieving the strength goals that they want. They know how to eat. They're, you know, improving their health, everything like that. Sadly, you know, it's, you know, it's just like a tidal wave. It's just kind of coming on and... Uh, there's so much misinformation out there, but you know, I I know what I can do is just be that person for somebody else, uh, like some teenager coming up that I find in the same boat that might just be like falling out of football, and I'm like, I've been there, man. You know, yeah. let me help you out. You know, let me try to give you some guidance in that respect. So, and I think like the one word that keeps kind of popping up in my head with this conversation is just like values, because I think so much of it, and even when I work with people. Like the, because you know, I work with people on many different levels, like not just in the in the gym setting. Because, I mean, I'm sure everybody can relate. A lot of times, what holds people back from making the progress in the gym isn't actually like the the programming or the coaching, but it's what's happening outside of the gym. Whether it's nutrition or lifestyle habits or like mental emotional management or you know right. unique circumstances. But again, all of it it comes back to the values that people have and that's why you know like you were talking about rich piana and ed Cohn, like and that's when you know when i'm looking at who to support with my money basically and that's what i tell people too like if you want to really make a difference and have a vote in the world then you need to look at where you're spending your dollars because you know, with the, it's a whole other discussion, but the whole political system, you know, the votes don't really matter much these days, but what you spend your money on does. And if you want to look at who you're supporting or what companies you're supporting, you know, look who the people are that are behind them and the values that they have and what type of people they are. And that's why I think, again, going through all of this and why it's so important to to find that thing that you're passionate about and like doing that thing and pursuing that thing, even if you know you're not going to make a lot of money or be super famous from it, but just doing that thing because you enjoy doing that thing, like what you get out of that and the, the person that you become is, is more important than, you know, any amount of money or any kind of status or anything because that person that you become is that person that's able to then turn around and give back to others. Right. Like going to back to what I was saying, you know, if you're at a, a job that you hate and that's what you're doing day in and day out and, you know, you, you don't feel happy in life, even if you are making, you know, what 
people would consider a, a lot of money and you may look successful from the outside looking in, but if you're not happy, you don't feel fulfilled, you don't have that sense of love and you don't love yourself, then what is it that you have to give back to others? Right. Well, and with that too, it's, it's a lot easier today to tell everybody, you know, I'm happy. Yeah. But to be happy, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, only you can define that. You know, only you can arrange everything in your life to kind of move toward that end goal is just, and happiness is, you know, a, you know, ambiguous term too, you know, that target can change, you know, if you find something else that you really want to do, um, or some the, something else that you really want to be, like if you want to, like everybody wants to be an astronaut when they grow up, but like how many people actually, you know, arrange everything in their life and, you know, maybe they don't know how to do it, but, you know, with everything, it's a lot easier to tell everybody, you know, I'm happy because, you know, I make a bunch of money or whatever, but to, but to feel that internally, you know, to be, you know, to accept yourself for who you are and what you like to do and, you know, be honest with, you know, yourself and others, you know, to not have that cognitive dissonance. Um, you know, that's something that, you know, I encourage everybody to try to, you know, if whether they're working with me coaching wise or not, you know, that's what, that's what I try to give uh, everybody at the end of the day, you know, is like, I, I know that people value my time and my input so I have to give them 100%, whether they're whether I'm doing something for free or whether I'm coaching somebody for like 100 bucks or something like that a month, um, whatever it may be, I'm going to give everybody the best effort that I can, um, knowing that that makes a difference down the road. It's a ripple effect, because if I teach them that, they're going to teach somebody else. And yeah. I think it's our responsibility, too, um, to, to do that, because that's what the three of us are doing. Um, you know, we've all taken that risk. Uh, you know, in January, it, it was leaving everything behind and taking something that started as a passion project and putting everything into it. You know what I mean? And, and me, me taking that risk to, to be a happier person myself because I was that robot. I was that machine as well. And I had the gym. I had East Race Muscle. It's, we've had it for four years now. But it was, like I said, it was, it was just running it as a passion project that I was here two hours a day and, and that, you know, just like a normal gym member. Yeah. And taking that, taking that plunge into my own mental health and happiness, you've done it with starting your own business and, and doing, you've been trying to do this for a long time and it's just now starting to get to that point where all of that blood, sweat and tears and that passion and that emotion that you've put into it is becoming reality, right? Yeah. It doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. But... I think in a in a in a day and age like today, with what what we're dealing with in this country, um, on at all angles, with you know the pandemic, with uh, society fighting one another, and and um, just the hatred, I really believe it's our responsibility to continue that message, uh, whether it's through powerlifting or you know finding other ways to. Uh, do the things that we're passionate about if we can't go to a place because they're closed or you have to wear a mask or something else, still continuing to push that out to society so that ripple effect does happen because then those five people will see what you've done for them and then they're going to do it for their five people and then those five people. And then I think it's the only way that we're going to be able to turn this around. And it may sound like naive, I guess, um, or uh, grandiose, but 
I really believe it. I really do believe it. Yeah, well, I think that's really the only way that authentic change can can happen. I agree. Because, you know, it's very easy to get caught up in everything that's going on outside of you and trying to fix everything outside of you. And some people kind of use that as an escape to not look back in the mirror and look back at themselves. But you can authentically only give to other people what you have given to yourself. Again, another reason why it's so important to to find that thing and to, you know, do what you need to do to fulfill yourself and to feel that happiness in yourself. Because ultimately, that's what the the majority, if not all of us, are trying to do anyways. We're all on this pursuit to, you know, feel that sense of purpose and feel that sense of happiness. It's just that a lot of us, you know, kind of fall or get detoured into thinking, you know, into doing things that we think might produce that, but ultimately realize that our ladder's leaning up against the wrong wall when we get up to the top. Uh, but, but either way, you know, when you find that thing and when you can, when you fulfill the things that you need to do within yourself, that's when you have the ability to move out to the next circle of the relationships that you have. And that's when you can start that ripple effect within society. That's why, you know, Taylor, my, my girlfriend and I, we kind of have these discussions because it's, especially in today's climate with everything that you mentioned, it's real easy to get caught up in all of this information and like, oh, this person's doing this and this person's doing this. And, you know, governor or the, you know, the president said this and this is going on and this is going on and like just information overload. Mm-hmm. But still, no matter how much information you have on a given topic, until you take action within yourself, like nothing really is going to change. That's why like my mission when, you know, the reason I started Optimal Evolution is because I wanted to, you know, dispel all the misinformation and and not only make myself the best that I can possibly be, but give that back to others. Because I know that even if it's just one person, like if I can give my all to just one person and help them create a change in their lives, they're going to be able to touch maybe just one other person. And, you know, when you create that change from the inside out, instead of waiting for laws to change or different policies to change. Or a vaccine. or Yeah. yeah. Like if you can teach people how to take care of themselves and how to think for themselves and create health for themselves – like that, that will take all of the problems away just in itself because we won't have the need for all of these things. And, and our whole level of awareness and consciousness will raise to the point where we realize that we're not separate from one another. Because that's the thing, as you get healthier and healthier and you, you become, you know, you grow the love within yourself, you realize that we're all connected. You know, even if you just think about it logically, you know, we all came from the same place. But when we're unhealthy, when we're stressed out, you know, when we're afraid, all of these things create the illusion of separation. And it's that illusion of separation that allows these things to perpetuate in our society. And again, instead of trying to change what's going on out there, change what's going on within you, and that'll create that ripple effect. There's a German concept uh, called Zonder, and that's, mm. you know, the realization that everybody that you come into contact with, whether you're driving down the street, you know, they're shopping in the next aisle over at the grocery store, 
you know, they're, they're, you know, not just like your immediate friends or family, but everybody in the background that just creates the backdrop has a unique experience, just as complex, just as, you know, hard and with just as much fulfillment as you have. And realizing that concept, like, like you said, you can't, you know, give people what you don't already have yourself. I think it's a lot easier to get caught up nowadays. And, you know, this person said this, this person said that. But, you know, if you take care of your own people, if you look out for the person on your right and the person on your left, you know, you look out for everybody that you come into contact with, you know, ultimately, like, I don't think that there's as much division in what people want now, you know, is the story out there is, you know, this person said this, so they're in this camp, and this person identifies the, you know, as this camp. But we have a lot of common ground. It's just you only see the division of where, you know, maybe somebody thinks like, okay, well, I don't agree with that that message, but maybe we both have some of the same goals, and like it's okay to disagree with people. But as long as you believe, and as long as you manifest what you have in your heart. Ultimately, I think we wind up a lot with a lot more common ground than what, you know, people realize nowadays. Yeah. And that's, again, like the whole idea, like when you find and you follow love, love is connection and fear is the opposite of love. Fear creates separation, division. Yeah. division. And again, you can look around in our society and see exactly what fear does to people. You dislike what you fear. You hate what you fear. Fear is the ultimate division. Yeah. And, I mean, that's, that's what's being pumped, in, pumped into us as a society right now um, on more than one topic. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And especially when we have so many major things going on that are, uh, that are incorporated by fear, pushed on us. That makes it even more of a disarray to where we, what am I supposed to be afraid of? Am I only supposed to be afraid of this right now on Tuesday and then this afraid of this on, on Wednesday? Or it's starting to get better, but then all of a sudden something else comes out to be afraid of, yeah. right? And then our mind uh, is pushed another way and we forget to internalize the things that we're talking about to make sure that like this is being portrayed, that, that we're still maintaining that, that settled heart and able to do the things that we're supposed to be doing to love ourselves and the people around us and to continue the path forward instead of to keep taking these steps backwards. Yeah. And I kind of, I wrote something about this the other day because I mean, when you kind of take a step back and, and look at it, it's like the, you know, if you wanted to, you know, put a perfect plan into place to, you know, make people do what you want them to do, you know, it's like one, you know, make them unhealthy, make them stressed out and tired by, you know, working them to death because they think they got to make money and by feeding them, you know, food that's toxic and genetically modified. Uh, and then, you know, on t once you do that, then you add in fear from, you know, all these different sources, fear and confusion. And once you create the fear on top of the stress, you know, people are in a perfect mind state to believe whatever they're told because they think that the person that's basically the same people that are creating the problems are trying to provide the solutions but because they're you know because we're confused and we're afraid we we believe those people and we believe those things and you know it continues to perpetuate 
the cycle, which again is why I think the first step in all of this and creating change is to change yourself. Because when you do start to eat higher quality food and cleaner water and get higher quality, more sleep, and you know, put, do the things that you enjoy doing that don't contribute to additional stress in your life, now you have a healthier body, which is able to create a healthier mind that's able to take better control of your thoughts and emotions. And you can start to question those things that you're being told that are supposed to confuse you and are supposed to make you afraid. And you, know, and you can perpetuate that cycle and you can spread that, the love to other people instead of the, the fear to other people. And ultimately, you know, which is what I try to do, provide the tools to help people get healthier, get a healthier body, get a healthier mind so they can start to think for themselves and, you know, question things. And I was told uh, very young, um, if you're not willing to take charge of your own life, you know, there's a million different people that are willing to tell you how to live yours. Oh, for yep. sure. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, then that could be, you know, from the expectations of your parents, your expectations as a man or a woman in society, you know, your expectations from, you know, corporate America and the advertising and your boss and the president and, you know, big multi, you know, you can go up as far up the chain as you want. But at the end of the day, you know, people need to have the self-reflection and the self-actualization to ask themselves, like, what's important to them? You know, and if you can't do anything about something, you know, it's not worth, you know, putting a lot of energy into stressing out over it, you know. And that's not to say it's, uh, you know, that that's not to minimize anybody's experiences. But if you can't do something about it, you know, you can exist in the present and, you know, do something for the people that experience that same thing moving forward. As long as you ask yourself, you know, who are you? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? You know, and start there and kind of make a connection out. And you start painting this, you know, web of just, you know, all these connections that you have with other people. And through, you know, whether it be sport, whether it be art, whether it be through, you know, your business connections, whether it be through what, you know, what your company represents, like you can make those connections and however you want, but you have to ultimately have that set of values that you value for yourself before you can instill that in others. It's perfectly said. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing different than the people, or there's no difference between the president of the United States, the governor, um, your mayor, the, uh, the surgeon general, um, the spouse in an abusive relationship than you, yourself. It's a human being. It's a human being with a heart and a mind that's able to think for themselves and think for you uh, if you allow that to happen, right? So it's up to you. It's up to you to take control, take control of yourself and take control of those situations and what's being said to you or what's trying to direct you or tell you how to do something. Or It's, it's how you react to that. And I'm not saying go break a law, like the police say, don't drink and drive, but Mike said, go ahead and drink and drive because I shouldn't mm -hmm. listen to it. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah. But when it comes to, like I said, these, just this, this uh, world of um, like the, the negativity that's being in all of the things that are like conflicting, conflicting arguments and ideas that generate no positivity in your life whatsoever, you can still move through your life and maintain a safe, 
um, you know, environment around yourself by obeying the laws, but learning to love yourself and decide for yourself what betters you as a human, as a human being, and how you can control that love for yourself and ultimately the people around you. You know what I mean? There's no, like I said, the, the, the President of the United States is a human being just like you. Allowing that person to affect you is you allowing that person to affect you. The same as you allowing yourself to affect yourself, right? Does that make yeah. sense? And I think that's, like you're saying, if, if you don't have a dream for yourself, somebody else is, will gladly make you a part oh, yeah. of their dreams. And that's like the, you know, when I coach people in the system that I learned that I've gone through with myself and that I teach other people, you know, it's, it's like it's a one, two, three, four approach. And the one is, is one love. So it always starts with what's your dream? Because if you if you don't have a dream for yourself or or a goal and ultimately, you know, being able to find your what your legacy is and what your purpose is, then you don't have that sense of direction. You don't know what's going to drive you forward. You don't know that why. And if you can find a dream big enough, you know, like I always tell people it, on a scale from one to ten, tens like I would die for this thing once. I don't care if it happened or not. If you can find something that is at least a seven on that scale, that's the prerequisite to start to make real changes in your life. Because it's easy, you know, people, you guys are both coaches and, you know, people come to us and like, hey, I want to get stronger or, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds. And it's like, yeah, those are, you know, worthy goals. But if what's your why? Yeah. If they're not a seven, at least on that scale out of 10 then when you start to tell them, all right, well, if you want to do that, you're going to have to start, you know, making these changes, follow this program, you know, create these habits. If it's not a big enough dream, they're not going to want to create that value structure and set that value structure in place to pursue that dream. And I think the same thing happens on the collective scale. Like, you know, we all have our own kind of, well, unfortunately, not all of us, have our own dreams, which again is why that's always the first step. But, you know, we all kind of have our like wants and hopes and things like that. But on a collective scale, you know, each one of us individually plays our part, but that all adds up to the collective dream of society. And again, like you're saying, we, we're, we're all humans. Like we all have the same things, but we all have different dreams and different values behind it. And that's why I think right now is such a beautiful time. And I know a lot of people don't see it that way, but you know, if you think about any time in your life where you were forced to make changes <laughs> in yourself, it wasn't a time where everything was going perfectly and there was sunshine and rainbows all day. It, were, it was those times where you know, your, your face was in the dirt and you're on the on your knees and you know had no other option but to make a choice and i think that's kind of where we're where we're at right now and what we're facing right now there's a lot of things that are you know creating a lot of pain on an individual level and a collective level and it's through that pain that the awareness is manifesting for us to start to make the changes that need to be made i, I really think that people need to one of the biggest issues, though, is taking a step back and using that scale that you were talking about and making sure that they're not affected by a dollar sign that's thrown at them um, or a corner office or a, a new car or um, these, these things that can deter what true happiness is or what true 
um, you know, freedom is for, for people. I think that's something that, um, gets lost in sitting yourself down and trying to work through that process. So like if, if I leave my job now, I'm not going to get this promotion that I'm supposed to be getting in six months. I'm not going to be able to get this new office that I was supposed to have. Or my wife wants a new car because our neighbor got a new car. So this is important to me. Is that important to you? That's not important to you. And a friend asked me in the gym, so um, I'm getting married in November. Um, you know, amid Congrats, the whole cro- thank you, uh, amid the whole coronavirus concerns and everything. Um, but I had a friend of mine ask me in the gym, is like, why? Why is she the one for you? And you know, it took me until I got home to like really kind of think about that question, and formulate a response. But you know, it's you know, if I had to give up powerlifting. You know, because she went like, if he asked me, uh, would you give up powerlifting if Megan asked you to? And I was like, I mean, yeah, because I couldn't, you know, do that to her. But, you know, the reason why, you know, she's the one for me is because, you know, I went home and talked with her about it. And she said, you know, short of you dying, I would never ask you to do that because that's such a fundamental part of, you know, what makes you you right now. You know, it may not always be that way, but you know, we give the time to each other and the love to each other that allows us to explore more about ourselves, you know, spend time being comfortable with who you are before you can, you know, give that love to somebody else. Does she, does she lift as well? No, she does not. See, so I'm sure you've experienced this as well, but it's something, um, I've lost athletes that have put their soul into this. Like they didn't know it at first, but you know, I saw so-and-so, uh, training with you at East Race Muscle, I'd like to give this a try. Have you ever lifted before? No, I haven't. Then you find out that they have this beautiful gift in lifting, and they see it. They harness it. They lose weight. They get stronger. They look better. They feel better about themselves. They're like, oh, I want to compete, this and that. And then all of a sudden, it starts to kind of die out, and you can't figure out why. And as uh, as coaches, uh, I mean, I'm not as experienced with you as far as your coaching process, but I know Nathan. Nathan knows me. We stay emotionally involved as well. Because we, we, we want to be that part of their life as well to make sure that we're building them on every level, right? Then you find out as well, my wife thinks, or girlfriend, or husband, or boyfriend thinks that mm-hmm. I spend too much time at the gym. Or they don't understand it and they think it's a waste of time. Or we ran our budget and I can't pay this training fee or anything anymore, so I'm going to have to go back to ABC Commercial Gym or whatever. Right. But you see like the downtrodden tone of their voice and you see their face, you know, sank and they're making that sacrifice for a sacrifice based on their soul with their spouse or significant other. You guys know as well as I do what happens at that point is resentment sets in, right? Yeah, right. It sets in maybe not right then, but it will eventually happen because just like lifting or stand-up or rapping or, you know, open mic night or whatever else or archery or poetry writing, if that person isn't going to be supportive of these things that actually feed you and, and help you grow on a level outside of monetary value or progressing your career, then they're not really helping you grow. And what sort of fulfillment do you have? You don't. Right. And that's, I think that's, that's the evolution that we all have to go through. Like, even like you were saying, like you might sit down and your dream at this moment might be, I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make a million dollars. And, you know, 
people, you know, people that may have been through that phase of life, they may know, hey, bro, there's probably, you're probably not going to get what you want out of that. But at the same time, I still think that's part of the evolution. And again, you know, if you go through that process and you start experiencing pain from that process, whether it's actual physical pain or, you know, mental, emotional pain or spiritual pain, because you're real, you know, something deep in you is does not feel that sense of fulfillment that you thought you were going to feel by achieving that goal. I still think that that is part of the evolution that we all have to go through. Obviously, you know, if you can create choices that don't involve creating a lot of pain for yourself or, you know, even destroying yourself as, as many people do. And that's where you can, you can get into the discussion of, you know, multiple lives and like our soul's evolution and, and things of that nature. But either way, even just our individual lives that we're living now, it, you have that choice. If you're experiencing something, if you're on a path and it's creating pain in your life, you have that choice to make a decision to move yourself and, you know, make a different uh, trajectory to move out of that pain. But I think, again, a lot of times what happens is, you know, we, we start to identify with our pain and we victimize ourselves and we don't take responsibility for the pain that is in our lives. And, you know, instead of facing that responsibility and, giving ourselves the power to make the changes that we need to make, again, we, you know, we start blaming other people and pointing fingers and just continue to perpetuate that cycle. But again, I don't want to say that there's anything inherently wrong with that path. It's just sometimes that's what people have to go through. And, you know, they may have to take themselves to the brink of destruction before they finally realize that they're the ones that are co-creating their own reality. And if they want to experience a different reality, they're the ones in charge of manifesting and creating the choices and creating the mindset and creating the perspectives and the beliefs that are going to move them towards what they do want. And, and that's been pretty much the definition of my journey with powerlifting was, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have seen the West Side versus the World documentary, um, but there's a lot of guys that say, like, I'm, I'm willing to die for this. Like, I'm willing to, you know, do whatever it takes to get, you know, whatever I want. But how many people are willing to, you know, assuming it doesn't chew you up and spit you out on the other end. Yeah. You know, how many people are actually willing to sacrifice what they have to do to get there? And, you know, my whole thing is, like, I've realized, like, I don't have to give everything up in order to, like, enjoy doing the sport and excel at it at a high level. You know, there, there was a, a lifter, I think it was, like, Bob Coe, uh, who missed every single one of his daughter's, like, swim meets or something like that because it fell on Wednesday night, and that was bench night at Westside. And I look at that, and I learn from those people. It's like, you know, I admire the dedication that it takes to put yourself through that, but, you know, I look at how much pain that's caused him, and I'm like, that's not something that I want for myself. You know, I want to be able to, you know, be multifaceted, go to these swim meets because at the end of the day, like, like it's a little bit easier for us raw guys because we don't have to have four or five people help <laughs> us in and out of our gear and everything like that. But, you know, it's like I can wrap my own knees. I can put on my elbow sleeves. I can put on my wrist wraps and I'm, I'm good to go. I could lift barefoot. I could lift in a garage. I could lift, you know, in a field if I wanted to. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I have to make sure that I'm putting in the work to manifest like what I need to do to achieve what I want. 
And I'm just now, and I, I, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting to that point myself. Um, That's it's. I, I love. I love what you said because it's it's clear. Like you, you know. Like it's not something you're. Oh, I think maybe I should do it this way. I think maybe I should do it this way. You you have an idea of where you are with this, right? For me, it's uh, you know, Garrett has been with me since he was 17 years old. I've mm-hmm. I've known him for a long, long time. And I remember him telling me one time, you know, he's got. 250 pounds on my total or 200 pounds on my total. But I remember him telling me that I would die on the platform. And it's crazy because I have a family that I adore and I love, and I've never missed a game. I've never missed a gymnastics practice and I won't, uh, barring, you know, something unforeseen that I can't control. And I, I live up to that expectation now, even here, I have athletes that, you know, need me here. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't be there this time, this time. Um, that's already, that's already been ingrained in me from the day that I, uh, overdosed and, you know, flatlined and brought back to life and was asked by, I I did counseling for a long time. I'm still actually technically on the roster for, um, for other, uh, patients and victims that go through addiction and stuff like that. And I had a lady that had OD'd and I was with her and she asked me, about my story, and I told her while she was uh, in the hospital recovering, and she asked me, like, if I thought, or how, I I can't remember how she worded, but asked me about my kids during that time, and I remember telling her, and I had to look her in the eye and said this, I said I didn't even think about them, and that for me was uh, a turning point then, but then hearing myself say it again, you know, it's just like, where, where was that, where was that person, like, in what in what world was I living that I had to let it get to that point where I hated myself that much, yeah. right? And so I won't ever allow that to happen again, not because of a rule, because that's what I want. That's what's right here. Right. But this sport, when I step on that platform, it's a, it's a place that I can't describe that I go to that uh, I don't think can ever be replicated outside of seeing the birth of my children. You know what I mean? Right. And well, you have nine snapshots in time at a full power lifting meet, you know, where you have a minute to pick up the bar and, you know, a minute doesn't seem like a long time. But when you're, you know, chalked up, you're ready to go, you step out on the platform, time slows down. I mean, well, it might be 20. And that's what I tell people all the time when I coach them into a meet. I tell them just slow down because you think like, oh, I've only got a minute. And then you forget your training because you've got the, this this anxiety of going out there. I'm like, this is what you train for. All you got to do is just pick up the bar, walk it back, and squat. Mm-hmm. How many times have you done that this training cycle? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's so simple, but it's such a small snapshot in time. Like it's you know, it's it's very liberating. It's a it's a part of the sport that if you train long enough, and you don't compete, uh, I often wonder like where where you're going with this. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I think it's an ultimate finish line. I really do. Yeah. Whether it's Olympic lifting. It uh, can be if you want it to be. It, exactly. Um, and uh, I have a really good friend, uh, Dustin, that trains here. And he's been doing this even long, twice as long as I have. And uh, has all these accolades and has, has done thousands and thousands of meets. Maybe not literally thousands, but the dude <laughs> does. He does a meet, I, like, it seems like every few weeks. And so... Um, he just now, I think 11 or 12 years into the sport, he's almost 40 years old, 
has a shot at taking the all-time world record squat at 148. That's crazy. Not just now. Yeah. And I'll sit there and I'll watch him train and sometimes he'll never talk to he'll never talk to another person in the gym. Just kind of watches laser laser eye focus, you know, this and that. I, I've talked to him about, you know, numerous things in life and I know how he feels about his wife, how he feels about his kids. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the world to him. But I know what it means to get to this point now where he has a shot at greatness in the sport. He's been doing it long enough for the reasons that he's been doing it, which is, you know, private to him. But to be able to say, okay, just now I'm able to to put something on the record books. Right. And like seeing his mindset change now, I, t I texted him the other day. I was like, hey man, just checking on you. I haven't seen you in a while. I was like, I'm still training. It's just, it's just like a different, yeah. you know. It's a different pace. It's a different pace, yeah. And it was like something I told you at breakfast. I'm not good at this. I probably never will be great at this. But like six years and how many ever meets later, uh, with the team I have in my corner and the coach that I have now and stuff, it like was brought to my attention that I have a shot at a different ranking. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to me, like I don't care about that. I'll never be number one. But to say I'm number 28 of all time in the world, not a you know submasters whatever like right. open, and open, yeah. And like to think about that and manifest it changes. It changes things a bit. Mm -hmm. It yeah. changes things, and it may sound hokey in people that don't understand the sport or the mental side of it. But it, it would be wild to be able to tell my son that at some point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, he's, he's that's the same way I felt about being on ESPN. It was like I can go back and I can show everybody that you know that like my uh, my fiance has got a, a one year old nephew now. So you know if he shows any inclination for wanting to exercise or yeah. anything like that. Just be like, hey, just come talk to me. Like I've been on ESPN. But like, who did this like, though? You did this. Yeah. You know what I'm. You, you know what I'm saying. You did right. that. Like you put yourself in the position to do that, based on the passion, the love, the emotion that you've put into making this your life. Whether it's bodybuilding, fitness training, powerlifting, you've been doing the same thing this whole time. The chances of you going away from this because it's something that you're so emotionally invested to, right. and people. The reason I asked you on this on this podcast is the way you present yourself, the way your passion exudes, the way you manifest the things you say into reality, the way you treat other people in this sport. Mm -hmm. I, I saw you compete at, uh, what was that? It was a meet in Cleveland. Iron Dog. Iron Dog. That was the first time I'd ever seen you. Uh, and you went head-to-head -head with a really awesome showdown against Daniel. Da Danny Masunchik, who's yeah. now one of my training partners, yeah. ironically. And I, I knew nothing about you. And actually, Danny wasn't really that popular at the time either. And he's one of the one of the strongest guys. Well, uh, to find popularity in a niche sport. Well, like that's what I'm was, that's yeah. what I'm saying though. Like you, you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. But yeah. then I feel like that meat kind of changed things a little bit, um, because like you guys, uh, it was neat to watch you guys go back and forth, and you became one of my favorite powerlifters then. Uh, and you didn't know it. We didn't know each other. Uh, I didn't know anything about you before that meet. And that was two years ago, I think. Uh, that was, what, spring of 18? Yeah. So, yeah, so a little over two years. And so um, that, uh, you know, however you view me in this sport or in this world of strength sports and powerlifting, that effect that you had on me is now, uh, you know, parlayed onto the people that I'm in connection with, you know what I mean? Right. The people that I talk to, uh, you know, I have athletes that are like, James Dolman's going to be at the gym. Like I, you know what I'm saying? Like that's, that's something, um, that you did. 
and we've we've had that connection together and been able mm-hmm. to help other people with. And the same thing with Nathan. Uh, I talk about him the, sa- the same exact way and tell people what he's done for me in this sport and things that he doesn't know that he's done. You know what I mean? Right. And, and the days, I know what, I, how I've affected him as well on a personal level, emotional level. And we still have those days four years later where it's just the two of us in the gym training together. Yeah. And those are some of the best days. Yeah. They really, really are. And those are things that you can't pay with a salary. Those are things right. that you can't, you can't pay with a promotion. Those are things you can't pay with a brand new house. Those are things that you can't fake happiness. Yeah. Do you see all, where I'm yeah. going? Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's like when I, when I train at the gym, you know, I train, you know, almost kind of lackadaisically in a way because, you know, the, the gym is where, you know, I interact with people of similar mindsets, you know, who all want the same thing. So, you know, not calling it social hour by any means, but, you know, it's, it's where I go to bounce ideas off. It's where I go to, you know, support the people that support me. You know, I'm, you know, supporting, you know, Danny, you know, if he asked me to wrap his knees, I'm like, what time do you need me there? You know, I went down with Kevin McHugh. He broke uh, uh, Mark Henry's 24-year-old drug-tested rap world squat record, you know, squat 955 down in Newark, Ohio. You know, it's like, that. that's where I go. And, you know, some people look at it like, oh, well, he doesn't take it seriously or something like that. But then I look at, you know, you know, I look at what I've been able to achieve, and you know, a lot, a lot of that I already had like in here, but it was up to me to realize that. You know, internally, like I had to say, like, okay, like I'm willing to give up looking visually awesome. You know, and with bodybuilding, you and still be, look visually awesome. <laughs> so visibly, visib- <laughs> visibly large. Um, you know, shout out to shout out to Live Large Apparel, Nick and uh, Kevin. Nice. Um, but you know, I I had to be okay with. You know, giving that up to ultimately find out, you know, what brought that passion out of me. And, you know, even though, like, I don't like to show a lot of emotion on meet day, I don't believe in the, the screaming and yelling and stuff like that. It's like I know that 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 raw expression means a lot to people. So, like, I'm not going to badmouth somebody for, I mean, if somebody's, you know, being loud and clanking 135 on the floor in the gym, you know, if, and I know they deadlift, you know, 600 pounds or something like that. I may look at them just like, okay, I don't understand why th- why this is, um, but I'm not going to take that ability to express themselves away from them and kind of demean that um, because I know how much the sport means to me. You know, I, I go in there and you know I I try to flip the switch like right before I lift, but then after I come off the platform, I turn it off and I can talk to you know anybody and everybody. You know, I'll walk by the scores tables and dap people up and you know shake hands and you know say hey what's up. But I know that, you know, when the flight starts again, I know exactly where I have to be and I know exactly what I have to do because that's just the way that I go about training. You know, I train for that, you know, 60 seconds, that 30 seconds. And it's it, it's top thrill. You know, we you talked about uh, uh, Don, um, uh, one of your members uh, shooting for the 148 uh, all-time world record, you know, Donnie Thompson. You know, hit the peak of the mountain, a three thousand pound total, something nobody thought would ever be done, at the age of forty six. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, and that's after playing arena football and being all beat up, and you know, and he's still contributing to the sport in a different way, where you know he's you know pioneering the body tempering stuff. You know, I've had that done. Before. Well, it was also at the peak of equipped lifting too. Like right. you, you see, you know, Dave Hoff just totaled thirty two hundred or whatever. Thirty one oh two. Yeah, but it's not, it's not as popular. When Donnie hit that 3,000-pound total, 
that's really all that there there was. Raw powerlifting wasn't as right. popular at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and it's it's just different. You know, it's a different skill set. You know, it's a different. It, it's an entirely different world because you know, like I got into raw lifting because I can't afford, you know, six bench shirts to walk, you know haul around with me to a meet to see, you know, what fits a certain way on a certain day. But you know, by being around those guys, you know, I'm able to set a shirt, you know, help them put on a squat suit, you know, pull the strings or whatever. Like I'm able to give that back to them because they gave to me that knowledge, that expertise on how to help them out. And now I can pay that forward to somebody that like, you know, they may walk into a gym and they know it's very rare to walk in and find like a couple multiply guys training together. But I'm able to go to a gym and they're like, hey, do you know how to set a bench shirt? I'm like, yeah, what do you need? Yeah. What, to to kind of go back to what I was talking about with Dustin and even myself uh, for my meet in December is one of the it's 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 wild. I'd like to have her come in and podcast with her. And we've talked about it before, actually. And it was before she kind of started her tour. Uh, she had said she'd come in and podcast with me. But it's one of the it's one of the most common conversations about, um, you know, different powerlifters or the the popular world record holders I have is Stacy Burr. Mm-hmm. And how she broke the all-time world record Wilkes, no matter man, woman, whatever, and then hung it up. Like, that was it. Yeah. And she was done. And, you know, I think the record was – it wasn't held very long. It was, it was pretty like short. A, I think Mariana broke it, like, about maybe a month later yeah. at another meet. But she was the greatest of all time. Yeah. Like, and that was her goal. And she manifested it. She talked about it. You saw it in her meets leading up to it. How many of those highlight videos does she post of her before an attempt, just tears rolling down her eyes? Not after she hit the lift, before. You know what I mean? The raw emotion. There's so many videos out there of Stacy like yelling and like after her lifts, just overjoyed and just like it was everything that she put into it would would replicate that raw emotion on the platform, right? And then she hit that total. And that's all she wanted. And she she got to that point. And I feel like when I watch her, watch her now through squares, you know, on social media, and listen to her, her podcast is great, by the way, if a, chi- a champion's mindset, if you've never I, listened to it. I listened to that this morning, yeah, uh, driving it's, over here. But I think she's having more fun than she's ever had, than when she was powerlifting, like touring across the country, her podcast, like, and what she's doing is, is helping, is she's helping people manifest that mindset that she had going into these situations that she had it's not just this is the proper way to squat this is the proper way to bench this is the proper way to deadlift right well I, th- I think a lot of people you know especially you know some coaches get caught up in like the like this is the way that they were taught so this is how you squat but that made it like I look at Kevin Oak and Kevin Oak's squat form no, no offense Kevin but you know it doesn't look the prettiest like or maybe even Steve Goggins the first guy to squat 1102 uh, back in Multiply, it was basically an 1,100 pound good morning. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know it was still deep. It was still deep enough, but you know, like I'm, I can't say like that looks like good squat form, but it worked for them. Well, so like 242 sleeved all time world record, right? Yeah. So, so, so I mean, like and so, he's and he buried it. Yeah, like like buried it. Yeah. Buried it. Um. So like I can't take that away from him. Like it works for him. You know, so, you know, to say that there's only one way to squat, like, you know, there's obviously like an efficient way to squat, but that may not work. That doesn't work for Kevin Oak. That doesn't work for Steve Goggins, you know, so to to be able to separate, you know, your own biases from that and just allow people to 
you know, actualize what works best for them and kind of guide them to that, you know, that's what I think separates the best coaches uh, from the mediocre ones is, you know, hey, like, hey, you know, I'm not going to deadlift the same as, like, I don't pull sumo. So, like, I can coach what, you know, looks good for sumo, but, like, that's not – like I, as a conventional puller, like, you know, and I've pulled 745 sumo, I've pulled 777 uh, conventional. Um, so I don't want to say I'm like a terrible sumo puller, but it winds up looking more like a wide stance Romanian deadlift yeah. than anything. So, you know, I just allow people to kind of explore and I suggest maybe like one or two little changes, like quarter inch here, quarter inch there. And, you know, occasionally you have a breakthrough moment where they, they're like, oh, like that feels better, you know, and that's not to say like, you know, like maybe another quarter inch is, you know, even better than that, but that's just allowing them to, you know, see that. And they're like, oh, I see that problem where my knee popped out of place there. And that's why I'm having this knee pain. And you allow them to learn how to self-diagnose that themselves, you know, by watching their footage. And that's, that's another thing too. watch all the footage that you can, yeah. because you'll learn that sort of thing pretty easily. Yeah. And I think that's the, you know, the, the purpose of our role as, coaches like it's it's real easy to get caught up in you know trying to have everybody do things this certain way because like either that's how you do it or that's what you were taught or you know or you're just because you have this idea of how things should be done but it's like you said you know everybody's squat form everybody's form just because of the body's own unique proportions is going to be slightly different and just like you're physically different you know you're also you know mentally and emotionally and energetically different and so our job as coaches is to not tell people how to do things but teach people how to think about things and and, you know be a source of guidance but ultimately allow them to explore their own uniqueness and you know sometimes having to to play that that role that you have to allow people to purposely you know mess up and make mistakes even though you might see them that happening from a mile away but just because you, you know what they need to learn so that they can create the way of thinking that needs to be created to ultimately be their own coaches like you said earlier exactly. the goal our goal isn't to have you know, people on our payroll paying us a hundred bucks a month for the rest of their life. Right. It's teaching people how to be their own coach so that they don't need us forever, especially when it comes to nutrition and lifestyle stuff. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what is something that, you know, I've kind of been getting into more and more is the, you know, the, the study of different archetypes, which are basically like different, different forms that we can take you know, throughout our lives or even on a day-to-day basis. And it kind of encapsulates everything that that we've been talking about here because, you know, there are certain points in your life, especially as men, you know, our, our four main archetypes that we kind of express the most as, you know, as our masculine energy are the, the king, the lover, the warrior, and the magician. You know, obviously, you can get a long discussion about each one of those, but at different points of our lives, sometimes we need to call on these different archetypes and express these different forms more than others. Like, you know, especially in your in your 20s or ideally, that's your time to be a warrior and just like pull your sword, your sword out and just do whatever the hell you have to do to manifest what you're trying to manifest. But the a lot of the problems can 
arise when, you know, you might start expressing shadow forms of these different archetypes, like, you know, the, the tyrant king that wants to try to control everybody or the, you know, the, the warrior that doesn't know how to rest and just burns himself out or, you know, misses all his kids, you know, swimming lessons or meets or whatever mm-hmm. because he's too invested in that one version of himself. You know, the same thing with the lover and the magician. But again, as you, that's why, like, when I work with people and with myself, when you can start, I start to identify these different aspects of yourself, you kind of know what to call on when it needs to be called upon. And that's where you can have these different, different expressions of yourself, whether it is training or whether it's being a father or whether it's being an artist or whatever that thing is for you. It's all different expressions that you can put out into the world. I agree. Um, yeah, so I'm going to kind of wrap us up. Um, oddly enough, I, I posted this five days ago, and it was a journal entry of mine based on a quote I read, which you actually quoted the last thing you Did said. It? Yeah. Nice. So the quote is, expect to manifest everything that you want to manifest, which nice. that's pretty much yeah. what you said yeah. in a roundabout way. And uh, I had a lot of people reach out to me after I made this post, but it kind of wraps everything that we've talked about. Uh, and all three of us had different viewpoints of essentially this topic. And I think uh, the, the beautiful thing about it is it works. Yeah. It, it works for you. It works for you. It works for me. And I think if we can get, um, you know, the people that we, the platform we have, the people we come in contact with to help them realize what works for them, I think like we talked about, those floodgates can open up and we can do our part to uh, expand this past the strength world and try to clear up some of this fear, this evil that's going on right now. Absolutely. You know what I mean? But yeah, I'll wrap this up. So this is what I said, uh, and then you guys you know, say anything you want, but uh, choosing to expect something is the first step in manifestation. You've armed your subconscious mind with an aim and a goal, and you hold it in your mind. The more you see it in your head, you will believe it, and it will real, reveal itself in physical form. Repetition is the mother of skill, so repeat it daily what you're manifesting. When you will the full power of your energy into belief, you believe it on such a deep level that it now becomes an expectation rather than a pipe dream. Expect to manifest everything, and you will. I love that. So I guess, I mean, encapsulating that, you know, look at the areas of your life that maybe you aren't manifesting what you want to manifest and and realize that whether you're conscious or unconscious, look at the decisions that you're making or the beliefs that you hold that might be causing that pain and manifesting that pain in your life. And then from there, you know, once you realize where those areas are, then you can start to really hone in on what it it is that you want, what your dream is, and then fulfilling that and following through with that and then creating more love in yourself so that you can spread that out into the world. Uh, There was a quote that uh, I actually got put on a lifting belt, uh, but it's a a quote from uh, Proverbs. It says, iron sharpens iron just as one man sharpens another. And, you know, if you take into stock everything that you have, and you approach, you know, everything like your your idea that you manifest in your head is 
more than likely going to change during your life in one form or another. Not to say it's got to completely metamorphize into something else, um, but al allow yourself the flexibility to say like, okay, you know, if I'm, you know, I'm not going to push myself into like with Joe cutting for the Kern, tried to push himself into the 198 because he thought he'd be more competitive and he wound up having some health issues with that. Um, you know, he's now looking at being one of the best, you know, probably breaking the 220 squat all-time world record and, you know, going into, what, the showdown? Um, what are we, like, nine weeks out? You know, mm -hmm. he's already, like, knocking on the door of breaking the record in training. Um, you know, you, you have to believe in your own heart that you can achieve something and manifest that for yourself. And in the process of doing that, you know, the target may change, but you're still working toward that end goal. You know, it's not, you know, as long as you have breath and as long as you're alive, you can strive to be whatever you want, you know, and nobody can take that from you. And that's that inherent freedom that we all have um, is the freedom to choose. You know, you choose to be, I chose to be a bodybuilder and then I chose to be a powerlifter. And then I can't say where, you know, I'll be 10 years down the road, but I'll choose to be the best at what I can be because I owe that to everybody that's given, you know, so much to me in the ways of opportunities, time, you know, monetary efforts, whatever the case may be. They've built me into what I am. So it's my responsibility to sharpen somebody else so that they can, you know, pursue what they want and what they're passionate about. I love it. It is a good time, you guys. It's a good conversation. Uh, I love both you guys. I love you too, man. I love you guys. Thank Welcome you, Mike. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming down, James. We're going to get a good training session on. Good breakfast, good talk, good training session. I oh, think yeah. you said you were going to take a nap first, right? Uh, uh, debatable. I've had two <laughs> rains so far, so I don't know. I don't think I'm going to sleep. Uh, so, yeah, I appreciate you guys for being on, and that is it for us, another episode of The Manifest Iron. Thanks, guys.